the Agency Growth Mastermind Podcast. It's our first episode ever. Uh, we're pointing the way for agencies going from 1 million to 10 million in revenue. Uh, it's four in general, 1 million plus agencies, a rising tide, lifts all boats mindset, and we're sharing as much value as possible. And today I'm with Charlie Stanley. How you doing, Charlie? Doing great. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing well. And we're talking about the power of strategic partnerships today. This is to me like the coolest thing I've discovered in the last, I guess I knew about it before, but I have not been very good with strategic partnerships and I'm just starting to get into them. It sounds like you might might be um, a little further down that path than me. You, you've done. I have, it's uh, one of the pieces to the secret sauce there, so to speak. It's having good relationships and those partnerships with other organizations that in some cases could be competitors but finding out where you really shine is what has made us shine. Doing content marketing, right? Like video, blog posts, podcasts, stuff like that. And we've gotten a lot of our business through that and social media. And then you see referrals, right? I guess I didn't know that most agencies build their business through referrals of some type. Um, I thought that you had to get all of them through the internet, I guess. <laughs> a young a young guy on the internet vibe, right? Like I, I thought that was how it was done. And now I see this. Um, the strategic partnership side is like, you could run a business totally off of that, never do any of your own marketing and just have partners. I mean, it's cool to see that. I think in our case, like having content makes that easier because then we can do collaborative content with our strategic partners and stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of been what I'm aiming at is like using, leveraging the content marketing machine that we've already kind of built and then kind of lending that out and then also making our strategic partners look cool on video and stuff like that. So that's what I'm trying to do. I really like what you guys have done with content. It's something that we've been telling ourselves, we'll get to that, we'll get to that, but we've never taken the time to actually really do it. And the our success has really come from um, referrals from existing clients yep. and picking a hyper um, focus on a niche industry, in our case, yep. uh, utility organizations and local government, and taking the referrals from that, and then also the strategic partnerships with others in that industry, whether it's the company that yep. does their bill payment system, or for like utilities, for example, it's the company that's selling them um, web content for electric vehicles and being able to do seamless integrations and working with those and being the preferred partner for them has really what's brought mm-hmm. us a lot of success on that. Um, because if you look I love that. sites, there's, there's not much content there. I wanna talk through a couple things that agency owners struggle with and people in general struggle with. I, I think of imposter syndrome as something that I've struggled. I, I still, like I'm, I'm seven or eight years into my career and um, I feel like an outsider and I feel like I'm pretending. And I think that agency owners feel that, but I don't think you can really blow up. It's hard to blow up when you when you constantly are second guessing yourself. Um, have you struggled with imposter syndrome? And 
are you are you done struggling with imposter syndrome? Does that still play a part in your in your vibe? Do you yeah? I don't think any agency owner is ever done with it. To be honest, it yeah. <laughs> a lot of the success comes down to confidence in yourself and your own product. When we first started, we were doing websites. Um, the first utility organization that we did a website for, they we we charged nine hundred dollars. And when I was <laughs> in a super niche industry. We did a website for a law firm for like $700. And my goal was to build a reoccurring income stream. So I didn't really care as much about that upfront money. But part of the biggest growing pain was going from an organization where we had clients that paid a few hundred dollars upfront to client and they're still with us. And now we have clients that are paying 20 and $30,000. And that's some growing pain when you get a client that wants to come back to you a few years later but a big part of it is realizing what we should be charging and and then also ramping up and going from that freelancer mentality to an actual agency where you have a team of trusted experts that that have your back essentially and are employees where you have to have payroll and benefits and lots more overhead that a $700 website just is not a sustainable product. And so we talked about the power of recurring revenue. And if we're talking to agencies over that 1 million point, they've already got this down, but maybe there'll be some people that listen to this that are earlier on in the journey. Um, recurring revenue, how important was that to the pivot of your business? Or did you always did you always have recurring revenue? That was goal one when I got started. When, when I started the business, it was actually going to not be design or development. It was just gonna be web hosting. And I had a hosting account, we were gonna market web hosting and then do websites to kind of supplement it to get them to sign up for web hosting because that was reoccurring revenue. Even if it was only like 15 bucks a month, when I was 21, I was like, hey, that's just, that's extra money. So as time yeah. went by though, we kept seeing that they didn't need support for web hosting. They needed support for their website. They needed this update or that update. Yeah. And back then they were in, they were HTML pages. So. We said, we'll just pay X dollars a month, maybe it's 150 bucks a month or whatever that is, to have that fixed reoccurring maintenance and management as, as content management systems kind of became mainstream. Our initial fear was we weren't gonna be needed anymore because the, the client would be able to log in and make the changes themselves. What we yeah. found though was someone still needs to maintain the plugins, um, do the security yeah. updates, do backups, do uptime monitoring. There's a lot more things that go into the mix with the content management system versus just yeah. a regular HTML site. So we started going that route and then we found even with the content management system, our clients still wanted help. They wanted us to do the update yeah. for them. So we came out with another service called Virtual Webmaster and that allowed um, them to just send the content changes to us, whether that's them sending us an email or in some clients' cases, it's writing it down on a napkin and mailing the napkin to us. <laughs> <laughs> Did that really happen? It hasn't happened in a long time, but yes. The, oh, the I love that. Like that's a great too. story. <laughs> oh, man. So, okay, I wanted to get into standardization and consistency because no matter where you're at in your agency journey, I think there comes a point where you want to have a, you know, standards, right? Like any entrepreneur who is then adding employees and what it, what used to be 
people came to them for their personality and their strengths. And maybe you had a couple people working for you, but once you get to a certain point where you, it's hard to keep the consistency. So have you found any good tips for consistency and standardization in your organization that you've, uh, that you've found work well? It's probably been our biggest growing pain. Um, consistency yep. is what everyone expects with everything. It's the reason that McDonald's is successful and Applebee's is successful. How Applebee's is able to give you a steak that looks exactly the same every single time. Like, I, I kind of joke that they must have like some like stencil in the back that they cut off all the extra steak and <laughs> use it for like their quesadillas or something. Because you yeah. <laughs> order an Applebee's steak and it's it's not an amazing steak by any means, it's an Applebee's steak. But the one thing you can expect is it is ridiculously consistent every time. <laughs> yeah. And we're, like in, in uh, sorry, in manufacturing, they have like, and like even upper echelons of corporate America, they have these big like programs to try to get the executives to prize consistency. And I heard somebody talking about it cause I was like, I wanted to do one. Like I just, I, or have somebody on our team do one, one of these programs. And the person said like, if you get the fact that consistency is important, like really important in delivering service, then you've, you've taken the program. That's the, that's the main thing. Consistency is absolutely crucial. The more consistent you can make the process. And that's actually why you and I connected, right? Cause I did that video about, um, I, as the story of the barber, uh, the barber, I, I've already, you know, shared it with my audience, but Hey, I'll share it again. The barber has, uh, has somebody come in and the first time he gives him a glass of whiskey when he's done with his haircut and he enjoys it. And he's thinking to himself, I'm going to go back to that barber every single day of my life. You know what I mean? Like, and then he comes back again and the guy gives him coffee after his haircut, not before. And he's like, well, that's still nice, but I like, I fell in love with the, <laughs> I like the vibe of the whiskey. And I felt like I was like in a sophisticated barbershop situation. And then he comes back again and he gives him water or he doesn't give him anything. And the whole idea is like, even if it's still delightful, the next time you bring somebody into your, into your service or whatever it happens to be, even if you delight them, but it's in a different way, there's still something about that consistency where people fall in love. They romanticize the situation that you offered the first time. So there's something to sticking with it, even if it's simple things and trying to get your stuff templated and simple. And I think that that, that is good for any agency to consider. How could we templatize? How can we ensure consistency? It's, it's exactly what, um, made me connect with you. I, I saw your video on that and um, I've been going through business coaching with E-Myth and anyone that's read the book, E-Myth Revisited, it talks so much about like franchising your systems and your business so that anyone can do them and documenting those processes. Uh, in in college, I bartended for a corporate restaurant and they, they had a very interesting um, outlook on it that I'd never considered. It's not just creating a consistent experience. It's if you create a raving fan of your business, just like that barber where if you mm. never got that whiskey to begin with, for example, that whoever gets that whiskey never got the whiskey and they would have got the coffee every time, he wouldn't have been disappointed. He probably still would have liked no. the haircut. He would have been happy with the experience. But since yep. that first time, 
the barber went the extra mile, he created an expectation. So next yeah. time it wasn't just that it was okay, it was you were disappointed. And if we are gonna go that extra mile, we have to do it every single time. Otherwise it's Ooh. a disappointment. That's actually, I'm gonna skip to my last point um, and then we'll, we'll go into strategic partnerships a little bit more deep. Because I think that that's why no good deed goes unpunished. Because you create an expectation. And if you create an expectation and then you don't, and later on you're like a little, like I think it's also you get a little resentful at somebody. Like if we go above and beyond and do something crazy, like I've done a website and they had a bad logo and I went back and I did the logo. <laughs> And like, I've had them accept the logo, be happy about it, but then the relationship went bad. Like I, I branded your company for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then I'm mad, you're mad, and for some reason everything falls apart. Because when you give, give, give above and beyond it, but then you don't in another area, you, like, like you just said, the expectation. That's why no good deed goes unpunished. And it also devalues your the rest of your services. Uh, if Yep. If you're trying to help them out and you you just give a little bit here or give a little bit there, we had a great example is working with like utility companies or city governments. Utility companies, especially if you're working with local utility companies, one of the problems, one of their sensitivities is feeling cold and corporate to their customers. It's no one really looks mm -hmm. forward to paying their electric bill, right? Um, but yeah. a lot of these ones that we work with, they're community-owned cooperatives. So they're owned by the members that they serve. And how can we give that look and feel on their website? Well, one of our designers had made this decision um, for a utility in Montana that he was going to kind of add this like footer illustration before it kind of gracefully went into their contact information in the footer. It was going to just kind of have some little elements illustrated of their community to make it feel local. And yeah. I was really hesitant about that. I was like, that just opens it up. That's so design driven. We're gonna have this conversation where they're gonna love it, but just wanna make 200 changes. And it- <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. The no good deed unpunished, what happened was the, the client loved it. And so we went with it, we went live. The challenge was every other client loved it too. And that meant that every single Oops. utility website we made, they wanted one. And yeah. now we created this unsustainable business model where we had to do one for every, and if your utilities in Yellowstone, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. You can put some buffalo up there, some trees, some nature. If your utilities in Kansas, yeah, just have flat and maybe some bales of hay. So, <laughs> Hey, that'd be cute. Yeah, there's there's not a lot to put there. So, and <laughs> it's so art driven that you get a client that's like, eh, I kind of like it, kind of don't. So you almost have to like trim down a little bit. You have to trim down what it is that you're doing that's custom, so that hey, this is actually reproducible. So it's almost like you almost have to make your thing less cool but more consistently cool. Exactly, and and figuring out what is the defined deliverable for it. So yeah. today we, we charge an extra $1,200 for that product. And we yeah. can actually really do some discovery with them and we it's going in alignment with the rest of the project, but it yeah. has its own track. So it's getting the attention it needs. Yeah. But to really productize it, we had to really step back, think about it, 
what type of questions will we ask the customer to interview. It can't just be something where we just rush it um, because it was turning into something that we were trying to do because we thought the client would think it's cool. And it was just sucking all the margin out of the project. It was demotivating the designer. Yeah. It was frustrating the client because it was so important to them because it was what was gonna be representing their community. And to us, initially, it was just like this little subliminal thing that gave it a little local feel. But they were completely yeah. taking all the attention away from their content, which is the most important thing, and dumping it into that. So we've really changed gears and it took falling on our face a few times to learn with that. Yeah, it's the best way to learn. Yep. And unfortunately, you just don't, you don't get to grow as an agency without that stuff, right? You don't get to do it without falling on your face a bit, I think. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with like a good coach, a good, um, you know, you're, you're working with a coach right now for Emith. I've worked with several coach management coaches, sales coaches, different people that have kind of spoken into my life. And I'm, I'm a little bit of, I'm a little bit stronger for each one of them. Um, but it, it still requires some falling on the face. It's the best yeah. way that we learn. If you don't fall on your face when you make a mistake, it's not gonna stick with you as much. You're not gonna yeah. get a little humbled too um, from time to time yeah. when you fall on the face. And that's where learning through trial and error, I think is one of the most successful ways to learn because it's the most impactful ways. Which means you gotta try a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Including strategic partnerships. So let's circle back around to the main topic of the podcast. I want to give a couple examples. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give three, and if you could give three, and we're gonna we're just saying them briefly, and then we're gonna talk about the principles because for our we have a niche construction and roofing. You have a niche which is utilities and government. And anyone else? I, I think that this is kind of a niched agency <laughs> um, podcast in that. A lot of the things that I talk about are going to be more for niched people, I think, in this podcast. Um, and strategic partnerships are better if you have a niche. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's way easier to find them, right? Because you you know who your audience is. It's very clear, and it gets clearer and clearer what types of company companies, organizations are your your comp your your niche. And then for me, it's been. I've got a YouTuber, another uh, marketing company that has different services than us that serves that niche. I, I've got a, 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 let's say, I've got two possible third ones right now that I'm kind of vetting. One is a, uh, a manufacturer supplier to these companies. And then the other one is more of like a consultant business coach type, he's a sales coach guy. So like, um, those are possible ones from my side. If you just, you don't have to go super specific, but what kinds of people could be strategic partnerships? Other, other experts in the client's industry, I think is a big one. So for mm -hmm. us, we formed a strategic partnership with a communications and publications company that works with utility companies. And yep. they, they were getting clients that were asking for websites we decided to learn their product, integrated it. So anytime we're making a website for a utility, it's like, oh, you need a newsletter or, oh, your annual report. Well, we can integrate perfectly and seamlessly with yeah. their services. So we're pushing their services 
in return, they're pushing our services as their preferred web partner for every utility they work with. They have 50 year relationships with some of these organizations. So their reputation, being able to leverage that and partner with them is extremely valuable. Um, awesome. Other great examples are billing systems. Um, every utility company has a billing system that you interact with. Being able to have a seamless login um, to that billing system right from the client's homepage, they, the, the billing system is always asking, getting clients that are trying to do it themselves and they can say, just talk to Charlie and his team over there versus them trying to walk them through it. And for us, we have that seamless integration with them. So those type of relationships have been really key for us with our hyper-focused industries. I'd imagine with you, it's going to be um, a little different because construction and roofing is is obviously not gonna be a billing system. Yeah, well, we, we have a couple like CRMs that we've talked to. The ones tend to be kind of big. They're bigger companies and they're a little hard to, but we are, we're talking to a couple like software companies too right now, and I'm, I'm hoping to make inroads to them. But I think that the principles here are sound, right? Just who owns the attention? Who already has, like think about who else in that niche industry has a database of customers and then has salespeople constantly talking to those customers. And if you're, if you're not making strategic partnerships, if you're not really investing in them, if you're not really trying to make those relationships good, you're you're wasting time. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> it's it's not it's that and also just digging into that industry, becoming not just the yeah. not just the trusted web partner, but for you, the trusted web partner for businesses uh, that do roofing, yep. that like actual roofing yep. contractors. For us, it's we want to know more about what our customer needs from their website than they do. Yeah. They we yeah. answer questions that they didn't even know to ask us. And we've talked about this on our last call, but basically it's weird because you know, basically I trust like if you were doing marketing for let's say a wealth management company, I bet you you could do an amazing job. I bet you could um you know create an awesome looking website and do marketing for them and really knock it out of the park. But the interesting part is if you don't speak their language, if you don't talk like them and like hang out with the people that they hang out with, if you're not at the events that they're at, they just, they assume you don't know and you couldn't do marketing for them. So yes, you could do marketing for all niches, but if you talk like them, if you, if you know the people that they know, if you're in their niche more, constantly, then they assume you're, they basically assume you're smart because they, you have the same knowledge that they do. So you don't, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've talked to a number of people where I didn't speak their same language. And so they assumed that I didn't know how to do marketing, but I do know how to do marketing. I just didn't know at the time, I didn't know what an OEM was, an original equipment manufacturer. So they, I looked dumb because <laughs> I, I didn't know their lingo. You know what I mean? But in, when you niche, you know, all the lingo, and you know more than other marketing agencies. It's what's gonna put confidence in your service. And if they're, yeah. if I was to go make a website today and for a car dealership, sure, I can make a website and so could you and so could 10 other companies, but 
if I'm going up against a company that does nothing but websites for car dealerships, they shouldn't hire me. <laughs> exactly. If they're not hiring them and they're hiring me, they're, the client themselves is focused on the wrong things. They're either focused on, yeah. I'm just, I happen to be cheaper, or the, the other thing that could be wrong is their sales guys rubbing the client the wrong way or something, or their product is yeah, yeah. in some way. But I should not be the one that my client is calling or that potential client is calling if I'm not in their niche industry. And I yeah. see the future of web agencies as hyper-focused on niche industries because it's going to be the really the biggest differentiator. If, if we had um, a company call us today and say it's an embroidery business that embroiders logos on t-shirts, why should they hire my company at Portland Web Design versus in Portland versus Hook in Minneapolis? Like, what what's yeah. the benefit of hiring either one of us? It's yeah, we can both fight for that client, but do either one of us understand embroidery? Do we understand the challenges? You might, for all I know, you. you... I, I do not do not understand embroidery. I wish I did, <laughs> but it. If there was a business that worked with embroidery businesses and had like a solution where the small business can upload their logo for that embroidery and it can help examine it and digitize it or do whatever you need it, they're going to have a leg up on you or me in that industry. Yeah. And if you don't have a hyper focus on a certain industry, it's gonna it's going to make it harder. One question I'd have for you, especially because my clients don't really compete with each other, just the nature of what they are. Yeah. An electric utility doesn't compete with another electric utility. They have service terms. Yeah, we haven't been taking we haven't been taking people in the same areas. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's a scaling uh, nightmare or not, but certainly hasn't been a big deal for us so far. We'll see how it goes. I've kind of thought ahead and my thought is just how can we add more value to the clients that we have and there are still a ton of markets that we don't that we don't have covered so roofing contractors in almost every city in the united states besides like 10 <laughs> we can still talk to those people in those cities and um, i don't have exclusivity duels uh, deals but we've we've kind of made it a point to avoid that a bit so search engine optimization is really important and Basically, now yep. you're trying to rank client B higher than client A. I'll just, yeah, I'll just tell you, I've turned down probably $200,000 in business in Minneapolis from roofing contractors because we have one. And that, to be honest, man, it hurt every time. <laughs> like when somebody's like ready, like I've had a conversation with somebody on a different part of the, the Twin Cities and I thought it might've been okay. And I called my guy up and I said, hey. And he said, absolutely not. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I wasted your time. I thought that because it was on the other side of the cities, it would work, but it didn't work. And I'm, here's my thing is particularly this guy has been the reason I grew in this area because he is um, such an advocate for us. And he's such like a raving fan and I, we love we love working with him. So. It, it made a lot of sense and it was also, it also feels good a little bit. It feels good a little bit to have a relationship that matters enough that you're just willing to just, somebody's trying to give you $50,000 and you just say, nah. I didn't, say, I didn't quite say it with that much enthusiasm, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, it, it, 
Yeah. It's it's a bummer in one way where you get kind of frustrated, but in another way you're able to hold your head high and say, look, yeah. I, I'm i taking the high road here. My client has contributed to my success and I'm going to continue yeah. to be not just a client vendor relationship, but a partner. Yeah. And I, absolutely, I think that that key word there is partner. And when you view your yeah. clients as partners, there has to be that reciprocal trust. To have reciprocal trust, you have to have their best interest in mind. Yeah, exactly. And that can kind of take you back to that, back to that no good deed goes unpunished, right? And hey, I know that we wouldn't really, like at the end of the day, this whole idea of like um, honor, and this whole idea of like ethics, like to me, if I'm not an honorable, I, I'll, I'll round this out on a different weird topic, which is I need that to be in a good brain space and to want to continue this. I need some honor and I need it to be ethical. And I, I want that for me and my organization. I also like I've, I've seen companies sh skyrocket to the top and their boss was an asshole. And my and I my thing is is I don't even see the point. Like ultimately, not not a little bit of an asshole. The, the camera guy's here, so you know a little bit of an asshole. But I'm talking about like true like abuse of their employees and like weird stuff that's like awful. And I don't want to live like that. And I ultimately want to I want to create a place where generally people are good to each other. And that's really really important to me. Otherwise, this like if we're successful. I don't really, I mean, money's fine, but like, I, I want it all. I want to be successful and I want to be good to each other as a team. Like I want it to be a culture where people get along and including the boss is not an asshole. So, um, that's really what I'm shooting at. I want it all, man. Money is rewarding, Tim. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, what's more rewarding for me is, um, back in uh, February of last year, I was still, much younger is a business and we've grown a lot over the last year and a half to two years here. And I had, um, one of my employees, I had text him on his one year anniversary working with me. And I said, Hey man, just, just wanted to say, I'm so stoked that you're part of the team. It's been a year. Cheers to that. Um, I sent him a little, little gift, but, um, that text message I got back from him, what he he said this is seriously the best job i've ever had and he goes i'm so stoked to to work for you i i screenshotted the message i think and posted it to my facebook page like i was just so pumped to read it um it to be able to show that it was impactful for him and made an impact in his life yeah i don't think we're impacting our clients lives um we're making websites for yeah. utility companies they're now, hopefully we're making life easier for their users. We're making life easier for their employees that are managing the content, creating a better experience. But for our employees, we're really trying to create something that's rewarding for them and that they mm -hmm. feel appreciated. And that's that's not cheap to do. That payroll's expensive, benefits are expensive, 401k, all that stuff that you're doing for employees is expensive. And the ones that are out there to make a quick buck, they'll come and go. The ones that are there to create something rewarding for their employees, hopefully it's not a no good deed goes unpunished. It's more of a, they want to contribute to the success. They're drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time putting together what our brand promise is and our mission. 
and our core values and not just the core values, but really what's the commitment to each core value and every employee, um, I don't know if there's gonna be video on this, but Tim can see it. There's, um, we have this book called The Compass and every employee gets yeah. one when we hire them. It has our brand promise on the back as you go through it. Um, it has all of our values with nice that looks awesome every commitment to that value is and um whether that values client satisfaction and what those commitments are it's keeping the perspective and understanding that um we have knowledgeable expertise and that we share the secret with the client and ourselves we the client only knows what we tell them uh another one of our values is integrity and having those commitments to integrity because it's easy to just say integrity, but what what is integrity really? And to us, there's two commitments to it. It's courage and honesty with our clients and ourselves. Mm -hmm. my, my big thing is for us to not lose our way. And every employee, this is ingrained in and we talk about it and we meet, we have employee development meetings once a month where um, the employee supervisor has that uninterrupted time to talk with the employee and really see what what's going on in their world and really talk about our values and make sure that we're still in alignment with them because as we grow and we get busier it's easier to go oh can we just take this one client it's this money and team said is that really within our values is that really part of our strategic objective of where we're going or is that just for a quick buck and it kind of rolls things back a little bit it's good stuff, man. And I've learned a lot from you in this conversation and in the conversation we had the other day. And frankly, I, I appreciate that you are basically the inspiration for this podcast. No, absolutely, man. Um, I, I will say the same with you. I've read, uh, I've been watching a lot of your content. I saw that first one and I was like, who is this guy? Um, so from there, it kind of, I was looking at your site, everything's really polished and clean. It looks like we have a very similar mindset to running our agencies. And um, all I can say is props to you, man. You guys are doing a great job. Props to you, man. And uh, hey, do we share Do we share where you're at on the, the 1 million to 10 million journey right now, or do we not share that? I'm a, I'm a transparent guy. Where are we at? We're, we'll be probably at about one, somewhere between one five and one eight this year. And who should people refer to you? Because we talked about niched agencies. So who should other agencies, if they listen to this, refer to you? If they get a, as a utility company? Yeah, if they're working with their local um, rural telephone company, electric utility, whether it's a co-op, a city-owned utility, a utility district, a sewer district. It's funny because early, early agencies might think to themselves, I'm not gonna refer out, I'm not gonna refer out stuff. You know how much stuff we refer nowadays though? Like as we're starting to get niched and niched, we don't take e-commerce, we don't take a lot of stuff. So we literally are shooting off a lot of business to other places. So I'm gonna keep an eye out for those types of uh, com companies. We do the same. It's uh, We have a website geared just towards utility companies called, I'll, I'll throw my plug in there. It's powerfulweb.com and another one for city and county governments and government agencies called govweb.com. Those are all nice. um, niche industries. We do get leads all the time from... The Portland web design ranking. Yeah, we rank number one organically <laughs> for Portland web design. And yeah, we've gotten um, a real estate agent. We've gotten um, 
an agronomy seed grower. We've gotten uh, yeah. uh, auto collision repair. That's just in the last week. These are a lot of leads that we don't actually pursue that having partners that we can send them to or funnel them to, yeah. it is great because for us, those one-off projects we've learned through, as me and you talked about systemization being so important, um, you can't really systemize if you don't know that industry really well. If we try to turn them on to our systemization kind of track, they're going to ask a question about, oh, we do auto repair and we want this thing where people can choose what part of their car is broken to give an automatic quote. Well, they could spend probably $50,000 with us building something like that, or maybe even a hundred thousand. And it would be really cool when it's done. But if they worked with a company that did nothing but auto repair or collision repair, something like that, they've probably already built that and they license it and the client pays a monthly service if they've done it right. And I think when I first heard about niching, I thought it was about marketing and sales. And it certainly helps with marketing and sales, but it also helps your internal employees uh, get better and and like their specialization happens naturally. And I don't think people should force the niche at the beginning, but I certainly think that they should, um, as they're as they're finding their way, as they start to see who they can be the most useful to, uh, put put uh, start drawing the lines and start circling the the uh, the niche um this has been a blast i hope you had fun no i did thank you tim uh before we wrap up i'm really curious one question yes sir what brought on construction and roofing how did that become the niche for you i think i like i like a lot of construction people i had a i had like two or three construction niche clients and i liked them more than my other clients (laughs) and i uh and I also noticed that like our our services that we offer, like web design, content marketing, SEO, um, and the lead generation thing just meant more to them. They, like the, what we were good at meant more to these people. So um, not to say it doesn't mean anything for other people, but I was drawing the lines. I had three dots and I, st- I started to circle construction and home services and then like, and it's gotten even smaller now down to like, I could say if I was really niche about it, I'd say roofing contractors that are selling retail, not storm damage, <laughs> or like that are more about retail than than storm chasers. So we've kind of identified that and it's just basically happened very naturally and slowly. And I did have a couple consultants tell me niche, 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 and I was really reluctant and now like we're two years after I started niching and I feel niched to the point I need to be niched. And then we do take some clients outside of that, but um, just certainly our, a lot of our systems are built around contractors. And that's how ours are. We, we took an, a client that's an accountant, uh, an accounting, yeah. and they've been a great client, but yeah. really for the most part, if we can focus on like, even in utilities, we can hyper-focus that into electric cooperatives that serve. Yeah between 5,000 and 60,000 meters, power meters. Yeah, love it. We we can look at it, we know this is what their revenue is, this is how much they can spend, and we can provide our product fits really, really well for them. Now, if they have- Love it. Under that or over that, we can still help them. 
but where we really shine and where we're the best is those ones. And it's the reason we're the best is we've done so, so damn many of them. I love it, man. And I, I probably would love, I mean, like I said, I'm committing to this podcast for at least 10 episodes because I, I feel like it's not even a real podcast unless you do 10 episodes. But um, if we go longer, we should have you on again at some point. And um, yeah, I'm just rooting for you. Stoked for what you're doing. Thank you for like being encouraging. And um, yeah, I hope this is useful to somebody out there that's that's on the same journey. Absolutely, thank you, Tim. And congratulations to you guys and everything you guys are doing as well. Um, congrats on your new office, by the way, too. Thank you so much, man. Take care, buddy. All right, see ya.